Welcome to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway podcast, where you will hear transformational stories, positive encouragement, and practical strategies to help you grow your mindset, reach your potential, live your dreams, and experience a purpose-driven, impact-filled life. Here's your host, Alan Blaine. All right, this is Alan Blaine, and I am fired up to interview our special guest today, my good friend, Mike Kim. Mike is a brand strategist for business thought leaders, coaches, and authors who want to create impact with their ideas and get their message heard. Mike's refreshing approach has made him a sought-after speaker, online educator, and consultant for top thought leaders. Mike's clients include New York Times best-selling authors and other experts featured on PBS, TED, CNN, and Fox. Mike has been featured in and written for Inc., Entrepreneur, and Huffington Post. Mike is the author of the Wall Street Journal best-selling book, You Are the Brand, which is phenomenal, by the way. The subtitle of that book is The Eight-Step Blueprint to Showcase Your Unique Expertise and Build a Highly Profitable, Personally Fulfilling Business. He has spoken at industry-leading events, including Social Media Marketing World, Tribe Conference, and Podcast Movement. He has been a guest on leading podcasts like Smart Passive Income, Entrepreneurs on Fire, and Read to Learn. Mike, welcome to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway podcast. You ready for this? Yeah, I'm ready. We can add this podcast <laughs> to that list. So thank you for the very warm introduction, Alan. It's a pleasure to be here with you, and I'm hoping that I can add value to all you tuning in today. Love it. I love it. Well, hey, I've given our listeners just a brief intro of who Mike Kim is, but can you just spend a couple minutes and give an overview of how you got to be where you are today? Yeah. You know, for me, I've been in business now for myself for 10 years, which is hard to believe, Alan. I never thought growing up I would have it in me to be an entrepreneur. I didn't really know what the word meant. The thought of owning my own business sounded really stressful. I thought I would just get a regular job. And actually, early on, I was quite involved in church. And so I was doing a lot of music there, actually worked for four years as the music director for a large church. That was my full-time job. And a big part of what I loved about those experiences was communicating, was sharing messages, but it was also mentoring and coaching. And a lot of those skills have followed me into this world of work now where I'm essentially doing the same thing. I'm trying to help people tell their stories, share a message, as you mentioned, create impact with their ideas, get their message heard. It's something that I feel I sort of stumbled into. I know looking in retrospect is probably what the path was for me. But when I was going through it, you talk about life's hard succeed anyway, man, it was hard. It was hard those first couple of years for sure. Got my feet under me and my biggest adversary and my biggest challenge was always the guy in the mirror. So it's been a slow burn, but I've gotten to where I am and I'm very, very grateful for it. Yeah, well, you've had a ton of success. I'm, I'm so curious, and I'm sure it'd be fun for our listeners to hear. How do you go from professional musician working as a church music director to being a marketing guru and strategist and best-selling author and running masterminds and all the phenomenal things that you're doing today? Yeah, I feel in retrospect, marketing, I didn't know a lot about it. You know, I really didn't. But a lot of the skills kind of carried over. I realized I was doing marketing. I was event planning every week. <laughs> it just was church service, right? Outside of a wedding planner, there's no one else who's putting together events every weekend, right? So we had albums that we had recorded. I mean, we we're doing things on that level. 
I had to promote those things. I had to promote conferences that I was hosting and I had to put together events. And so I didn't realize a lot of that was marketing. When I transitioned out of that job, a lot of things were happening in my life at the time. I was married at the time and we were there for four years in Connecticut. And I met a guy in 2009 who is sort of at the top of the mountain in the world of work that I was in at the time. So I flew out to his church in Colorado Springs, huge, you know, I mean, they basically hosting a rock concert every weekend. And I sat with this guy for like 45 minutes, one-on-one. -on -one. I just wanted to like learn from him, pick his brain. And I flew all the way there just to do that. And he invited me to stay for their conference for a few days. And I'm sitting there in this guy's office, Alan, and I'm like looking out the back of his office. It's literally the Rocky Mountains. I mean, this is the dream job. And I walk away, go back to my hotel, and I ask myself this simple question. If everything goes right in 15 years, do I want this guy's life? And I said, no. I was very shocked. What's interesting is I am now the age he was when I met him. So had I stayed that course, I'd still be doing that now at my age, right? I was like 30 at the time and I just said no, but I didn't know what I was saying yes to. And it sort of opened this like Pandora's box of, okay, let's just see what the possibilities are, you know, for me in life. But it really started with realizing that like maybe the ladder that I was climbing was leaning against the wrong building. And whether I was wise enough or just young and foolish enough at the time to be like, all right, I'm checking out. Like, I don't think this is what I really want to do. I'm not sure that this is really a life of impact. I learned integrity in that season of life in a different way than I knew it when I was younger. I always thought integrity when you're younger meant just to be like, holy and honest and like a good person. But if you really look at the word integrity, I'm a word guy, right? Because messaging and writing, it comes from the word integer, which is a mathematical term, which is a number that cannot be divided. So integrity literally means to be undivided, you know, to be yourself. And it was the first initial steps into me discovering what I felt like a life of meaning would mean to me. And it forced me to answer or even ask some questions that I had never done before. And I've got to ask, what were some of those questions, if you don't mind me yeah. asking? Is this a life of impact? Is, as much as I was good at what I did, is prepping the music for the same thousand people every weekend a life of impact? Are you going to look back on this when you're 80 years old and say, like, yeah, that was a life well spent? Are there things that you fully believe about this structure that you're in? And I was like, I'm not sure. You know, I saw a lot of bad leadership in that world. I saw a lot of narcissism. I saw a lot of insecurity. I saw a lot of people like aborting the dreams of others to maintain control. I'm not throwing the whole thing out with the bathwater. I'm not saying that. You run into these situations all the time. Even in business, I see this a heck of a lot. But I would honestly say this is going to sound weird, but I know that the right person who hears this will understand. I felt I was too talented to be confined to one place, like one organization. There wasn't enough for me to do in a given 40 hour work week. Like it was easy. And then I always felt like I could see things like big picture and say, I wish I could go into that situation, fix this one or two problems because that would be good for them and they could keep running. I did not know what a consultant was at the time. I didn't even know that that could be a job. Right. Right. So those were some of the questions that I asked. 
I ask myself also, are the people around me challenging me? Are they pursuing life and actualizing their potential in a way that inspires and uplifts me? Or are they confining themselves to beliefs or tenets or values that they've never really picked up the rock and looked under? That's important to me. I respect everyone's beliefs and their own journey, but I want to know that they've looked under the rock and examined it. I admire people who have a couple of scars on their neck and have wrestled with a deeper, I know you have, and that's why we click so well. So those were some of the questions at the time. And like, was I really happy doing this? Like, is it fulfilling? Right? Does that have meaning? Yeah, I love that. I love some of those questions you asked. I mean, were you really living up to your full potential? You know, you'd been given these gifts, talents, and abilities. Were you really living out your full God-given potential or being held back really from the talents that you had to steward, right? Yeah. You talked about even the circle that you were around and were those people building you up and we know how important that is. And so many things that I could only wish that in my younger years, I would have recognized, understood and cared about, you know, it took me much past 30 actually, before I really, really understood those things that are making break deals. Before we go too much further, I mean, you had a ton of success, but what would you say, you know, I want want to give you an opportunity to brag. I don't know how to say it another (laughs) way, but like maybe what are you most proud of uh, professionally speaking? Because I know you have a lot to be proud of professionally in the last even just 10 or so years, you know, since you got out of the music business. What's one of the greatest accomplishments, I guess, is what I want to hear from you. The thing that really lights me up is when people I've coached and mentored or facilitated like in mastermind groups or coaching groups, like these communities that I've built. The thing that really lights me up is that they're building relationships and friendships with one another. They sometimes will post videos on social media. They're visiting a city that someone's in and they happen to be in that city and they all just meet together without me. Like that, I'm very proud of. I'm very proud that over the last eight, nine years, I really laid this ground, laid this foundation to give not just entrepreneurs, but leaders a place where they can meet with others, build connections professionally and personally. These are how I do mastermind groups. I've sold products, I've sold courses, I've spoken at events, I've written a best-selling book. All of that pales in comparison to the fact that there are two people who are friends and they met and became friends because of something I did. That's extremely rewarding. And many of them actually partner up in business together I just feel like I've done my job. You know, I'm like, good people know more good people who know more good people. That's just what I have always loved doing. And what's funny is I'm an introvert. So that may surprise most people. Like, like he likes connecting people, but he's not an extrovert. And like, it just means so much to me because I know that relationships are rocket ships. One relationship can change everything for you in your life. And so I'm most proud of that and that community that we built, the mastermind community that I have. I love that, Mike. And I'm truly honored just to even be a part, not of your masterminds that you're just talking about, but just to be a part of a mastermind with you, which is obviously how we met and connected many months ago. And it's been awesome being around people like you that we sharpen each other. Hopefully I'm sharpening others, but I know others are sharpening me and I really value and appreciate that very, very much. What would you say is one of the keys to your success? Hmm. Being willing to know yourself. Whether I had to or I chose to, I have just been on a long, long journey 
of trying to discover who I really am and what's really under the hood. For a lot of my life, Alan, I gave that over to other people. And then also growing up as a Korean American kid, culturally, like there's a lot of cultural ramifications on top of that, right? Asian culture as a whole is much more about the collective than the individual. American culture is much more about the individual than the collective, right? Right. So you heap that on top of church where your identity is not found in yourself, it's found in God, it's found in somebody else. And again, not talking about beliefs, I'm just saying from a purely intellectual standpoint, I'm giving a lot of that away in my life. And I'm looking externally for people to tell me what I'm supposed to do or who I am or what's, and then I go into these, you know, even these wonderful assessments that are out there, the Enneagram, Strengths Finders, Myers-Briggs, Human Design, there's all these things out there. And they're all tools to help us understand a little bit more of ourselves. And I think that as I've grown in my understanding of myself, how I make decisions, why, what my unique wiring is, what my personality type is, whatever I can do to grab on to get a little bit of knowledge and get to know myself a little bit better. I think that has been hands down the biggest key to my success because if you know yourself and there are parts to work on, you know how to work on them because it's gonna invariably show up in your business or your work life or your relationship life or your friendships or whatever. And if you never get to the root issue, which is you, you're just, trying to shovel water out in buckets out of a sinking boat, you know? So to me, the self-awareness and meeting other people who are self-aware and are on that journey is so inspiring to me because you own your stuff, you take responsibility, you don't blame others, you don't pass the buck, you know it starts and ends with you. And if we just had more self-responsible people in this world, it would be a much better place. It really would. And so I would say that that's probably the biggest factor to my success. Sometimes I may overdo it. I may get too inside of my head, but it's a funny thing to say, but I've learned to kind of accept myself and love myself. And recently I went to a, a birthday party for one of my friend's kids. She was turning one and they asked us all to sign something in a guest book for her that she would read, you know, in her future birthdays. And I wrote, you know, her name, I wrote, learn to love yourself. It's who you'll have to spend the rest of your life with. And I think that has been the biggest determining factor to myself. It doesn't mean you don't love God or love other people, but man, it's, it's a tough life if you don't like the person you are and you're not getting to know that person, especially if you're driving business and doing all these other things. It's really important, the relationship with yourself. And that's a great point in how we view ourselves. I mean, I can just say this from experience, when we're confident in who we are and we're confident in what we're doing, we're in such a stronger position to be able to then focus outwardly. Because I think when we're not confident in who we are, we're inward focused, we're self-centered, selfish, because we're just worried about what people think about us, how we look, how we talk, you know, everything. It's hard to love others when you're in that state of mind, but when you can walk in confidence in who you are, and I'll add who you are in Christ, and you're like, you know where you're going and you know why you're going there. Now it's all about everybody else. It's not about me anymore. It's a game changer. So I love that you brought that up. Has life been easy, Mike? I mean, has there been any challenges in life at this age, 40, <laughs> whatever you are? That's <laughs> Oh, yeah. In all honesty, I would say I've had a great life. I'm very blessed. I'm very fortunate. Things could have been a lot worse. And I don't go there because that's never helpful to anybody. 
You never yeah. want to feel better about yourself by looking at other people who have it worse off than you. Everyone's problems are important to them. That's something that I've yeah. come to understand over the course of my life. And yet most people's problems are not rare. Sure, you have these outlier situations, right? But chances are, at some point, another human being, or maybe a lot of them, have gone through similar things. And so I take comfort in that, that one of the hardest things that I went through in my entire life was a divorce, right? And that happened about five years ago. It started about seven years ago. And at that point, I was married for 12 years. So I was married a good deal of time. And when that happened, it hit me out of nowhere. I did not see that coming. and. That was really probably the biggest catalyst for personal growth in my life. Business and starting business and growing it was easy compared to getting through that. You wrestle with so many things and you grieve the death of things and dreams and a life that you thought you would have, even family that you thought you would have. And yet in that experience, I can look back on it now and say, I'm really grateful I went through that. I'm very happy in a weird way that I went through that. I do think that there were parts of myself that were held back. And I think the same for her. We're on pretty good terms, actually. We recently texted a couple months ago on my birthday, and she's just giving me a kind of a life update, and she's getting married. I couldn't be happy for her. And she said, you know, I maybe needed closure or whatnot. It's not my story to tell, but it was enough to say, like, wish things worked out different. And I wrote back, yeah, but if they did, we wouldn't be who we are today. We were really young back then. We didn't really know what we were doing. Let's be honest. We didn't have the skills. And it was always like that, even when we went through it. It was just heart-wrenching. So that was difficult. But at the end of the day, you're you. And you've got to learn to show up for yourself. I think so many of us who are in business and um, especially in my industry, where we're coaching and advising others, we show up so much for other people, so much better than we show up for ourselves. You know, that can look like just get some rest, drink enough water, get a workout in, take care of yourself, like have some fun once in a while, for goodness sake. There's not a single friend or employee in my life that I treat as bad as myself. <laughs> right. Right. So, so yeah, it's been hard, but no one ever said it would be easy. And I think you and I are alike in this way. I don't mind hard as long as it's worth it. Right. 100%. I don't mind hard either, as long as it's worth it. Or I believe it's worth it. I can go through a lot of hard as long as I believe yeah, it's worth it. Absolutely. You said that that divorce, and I've never been through a divorce. We're getting ready to celebrate 31 years of marriage. So that's a heart I have not experienced, and I pray I never do. But I could only imagine the pain and the challenges that come along with that. I mean, you said it was the biggest catalyst to your personal growth. I think I, I heard you just mm -hmm. say. So expound on that for me, if you could, like, because I wanted to ask you how you view past challenges. And I know when we talking earlier, you were, you were talking about the divorce being a big challenge and also even writing the book. Mm -hmm which I'd love to hear since I'm in the bottom of the ninth inning launching my book here, September 21st, 2023. So I'm excited about that. But so I'm curious your perspective on that. That's a little side note. But how do you view your past challenges? You can talk specifically to the divorce, but why you would say it was the biggest catalyst to personal growth. You get married together, but you get divorced alone. And some people can't handle that. So they fill all that space with other things or even new people. Right. And I didn't bat a thousand either, but 
I think the hardest thing about that was you don't realize how much space in your life a relationship like that occupies until it's gone. You take for granted, you have someone to text in the morning, you have someone to talk to at night, you have someone to plan things with. You have kids, so you're building something together. You're building towards something, a, a shared vision. Yeah. And I remember going into counseling and we went in together and then we had individual sessions as well. And one session, I actually remember my therapist said, you're not allowed to talk about her today. We're only going to talk about you. And I was like, I don't understand what you're talking about because I'm here to fix this marriage. And a lot of that's predicated on her. So we need to talk about this. He's like, like, nope, you're not allowed to bring her up today. We're just going to talk about you. What do you want? I was like, I want her to change her mind. No, we can't go there. And so, man, it was a really hard experience to go through because I realized how little I knew myself. I realized how little I prioritized myself. And it was a lesson that when you have two people who don't know who they are and don't know who they are, where they stand, and you're trying to build something together, it's really, really difficult. I mean, it's, you know, unless you're going to be intentionally just codependent forever, it's probably not going to work. Right. So during that time, it felt selfish. It felt self centered. It felt arrogant. It felt prideful to talk about myself so much or think through. And this is my therapist leading me through this. I know he's got no ulterior motive than us growing. And then I realized, wow, you can literally only control what you can control. You cannot create an outcome. You cannot manufacture it, at least in this thing. You cannot twist someone's arm or change their free will. Like this is hard. And there's like this element of powerlessness too. And then it's like unworthiness. Like, what is it about me that is creating this situation? How did I contribute? It's never one-sided. So like you really start, if you're going to do the work, like you really start looking under the hood and hard at this stuff. And it was not easy, man. It was not easy coming to grips with that. I saw a lot of my own tendencies, which are to rescue people and to try to make everything okay. And I'm a fixer and that's what I do at work. And it just shows up, dude. And you're just like, well, maybe you're going to need to learn how to let go of some of that. And you're finding a lot of significance in that, that you didn't realize, you know, so a lot of that. And I do love that about challenges. Not that I love it in the moment, but I do love the fact that it causes us to grow. I mean, I love that you said that, you know, biggest catalyst to personal growth. It's not the fun way, but it's the necessary way. I heard someone say the other day, you know, the strongest swords were created in the hottest fires. And it's like, yeah, that's, you know, there's a hundred ways to say the same thing. It's those challenges that we go through that make us who we are. It's where we're forced to grow. And so I do love that about the challenges. And this next question, not limited to marriage advice, although feel free to answer it in that context if you'd like to. But what's one thing that comes to mind you'd love to go back and give yourself advice at a much younger age? I would say it this way. If one day I had kids or if I could go back to myself as a kid and parent myself as a kid, there's three things that I would want to really convey, right? Outside of love and, you know, caring for myself as a kid or whatnot. Number one, manners. Like teach them good manners, like learn good manners. Number two, what to do with money. Yeah. Money is one of those things, man. It's just, it's a weird thing. It is so loaded with so much emotion and good or bad, right? Just crazy just how people behave with money and what that means 
And then third, how to reframe challenging situations. I feel like if you take a young person and you can teach them good manners, you can teach them what to do with money, and you can teach them how to reframe challenges, they're set for life. I think I was at good manners, but the other two, I wish I could go back and teach myself some stuff on. Mm. You know, we didn't have money growing up. We got evicted from our apartment a couple of times. I still remember how I felt about certain cars that my dad had to drop me off to school in. And it's a really tough thing. I've done okay. And yet I will feel horrible about buying something for myself till this day. I have to justify it in some way. You know, I'm like, oh, no, I need these pair of shoes because I wear them for work. Like, that makes sense. But just <laughs> something for my own enjoyment or just nice to have, like, no way. So I wish I could change my relationship with money and in like how I relate to it. That's definitely one of those big things. Yeah. And that affects your mindset. It affects so many different things. They're all related, right? But that's a huge piece. And not to go too deep in that, because I got some other questions I want to ask you, but I'm curious, like what specifically around money, what is one thing just to go a little deeper on that, that you'd like to reframe your mindset around money? I think that money for me has always been something that's scarce. It's hard to obtain. And now if you think about it, especially from my background in Korean culture, Korean culture is very heavy on education. You think that it's bad in the States. It's like, if you don't go to Seoul University, which is like the Harvard of Korea, you're just not going to amount to anything. It almost feels like there's no middle class in a way. So your grades and your school performance are so tied, not just to your status, but like how much you can earn. So I wasn't good in school. So I'm like, okay, I guess I'm going to be poor. Literally, that was the correlation. Whereas when we see entrepreneurs, wow. many of the most successful entrepreneurs didn't do well in school. Right. But there's that self-worth piece because it's drummed into you. If you don't get A's, if you don't get a certain SAT score, you don't go to a certain college, you're not going to get a certain job. And the only jobs that you can have should be respectable, like a doctor, lawyer, business person. Those are like the options that you grow up with. And outside of that, you're just a failure. You could be the world's greatest chef, but it's not intellectually challenging to do that. It is, of course, but not in their world. So you're just a cook. Right. You can see how this is just going to jack up a lot of people. Well, how did you become an entrepreneur? I mean, that's the next question and obviously a successful one. Yeah. I mean, I believe that it came to me in the right time in my life, in human history, right? I don't think I'd be an entrepreneur if the internet didn't exist. I don't see myself opening up a cafe down the street and hiring people out and dealing with the business plan and renting, you know, a space and all that. Oh, my, that just gives me hives. And when I left my church position, I missed having a creative outlet. So I started blogging about anything. Well, nobody read it. So the other part of me, which is like, I hate doing things. I have no point. Maybe I should learn how to do this. I stumbled upon, you know, this guy's website, Michael Hyatt. I guess he had good search engine optimization. He had really good content on blogging. So I followed his coursework and that's how I met the online space. And he and some of his colleagues would talk about how they were making money online. And they were selling coaching, consulting, and all this sort of stuff. And what year is this, Mike, for context? Probably 2013. Okay. Yeah. Yep. 10 years ago. I'm like, well, I don't know about all this other business stuff, but I can write. 
I know how to write. So I'll just write according to what he's sharing. And because I was a writer, I was good at writing for marketing. And I didn't realize that I knew marketing all those years. So people started to hire me to write their marketing material. And I was like, oh, wow. And I'll never forget the first money I made online. It was like life-changing. I was like, oh, I can do this without having to drive to an office, buying a suit and wearing one every day. I don't have to commute. I don't have to hire people. And I essentially discovered this freelance life. And the better I got at sharing what I knew, my audience grew, more opportunities for consulting came along, for coaching groups. And that's just sort of how it's run its course. And so here we are. I think if I was born five years earlier or um, five years later, I would have missed the window for me where I was in life. So I look back on that. I'm like, thank God. Like that was just a sovereign chain of events or whatnot that led me down that path. And I've met Mike a couple of times and he knows me and I, I, I've thanked him so much. I'm like, thanks just for putting your stuff out there, man. I know you're not responsible. He's like, I'm not really, you just took what I shared. I was like, yeah, but you shared it and you're who I met and I thank you for it. So, yeah. And now you're doing that for countless others and I try forward yeah. in that way and yeah. how fun, how fun, Mike. Hey, I love also when I asked you if you could go back in time and knew that last question, what advice you'd give your younger self? You said manners, money, and how to reframe challenges. I love that you added that too, not just money, but reframing challenges. When you said that, I just go back to like what I've heard Sarah Blakely say, not personally to me, I don't know her personally, but you know, the world's first female quote unquote self-made billionaire, mm-hmm. founder of Spanx. And she talks a lot about how at the dinner table, you know, when she get home from school and her dad would want to know, what'd you fill out today? Mm-hmm. What'd you fill out today? Oh, you didn't fill out anything today? Like that was the standard. It wasn't, yeah. as you said, like in the Korean culture, the degree, the standard was how far did you step outside your comfort zone, try something new and fail? Because if you didn't do that, you failed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's what you're talking about, right? Is reframing challenges. I mean, it's different. I mean, but in the same vein, like if you can reframe challenges to view them differently, how is that good advice? I heard uh, Ray Dalio, the hedge fund manager, talk about this. I think it was in his book, Principles. He said that when people encounter challenges and pain, they handle them in one of two ways. Some people, when they encounter pain, or most people, they just wait for the pain to subside. They can't process it. They're just in pain. So they just wait for the pain to subside. That takes a while. Once the pain subsides, they just go back to their normal life. They don't actually grow from it because they don't reflect. They don't dig in. They don't get to know themselves or really look at the situation. He said that there are other people, when they're in pain, they're able to self-reflect and process while they're going through it. And in more recent years, obviously, with, with the issue of my divorce, I realized that's why it was so challenging. I was trying to do that. And that's why I got so much out of it. I turned lemons into lemonade, if you will. Right. And life's challenges will come. And if you're not able to get the most out of it, see the value in it, see how this is just a piece of the journey that you're on, you're going to miss half the experiences that life is trying to teach you. There's debate over where some of these principles come from, but it's like rules on being a human being. It's like life will have lessons. Lessons will be learned. Lessons will be repeated until they're learned. 
and it's just one more time around the desert, Moses, one more time around the mountain, right? And it's like, if you're not able to dig in, and this is why people make the same mistakes all the time. You're not able to dig in and reflect on what this situation is, how you got here, why you're here, how you may have contributed to this. It's another turn around the barn. And I don't know about you, you know, it's like, I never want to have to relearn a lesson more than like once. And once you know, you're just learning the lesson all over again, you're just like, I'm just wasting time. I'm just flying in circles. This is pointless. So I look at challenges and sometimes challenges hit me in the face and they're hard. I'm like, dang, this sucks. And now I'm a little wiser and I'm like, okay, I don't know what the lesson will be on the other side of this, but it's going to be a good one. And that I can control. I can't control whether it continues to happen to me or not, but I can't control what I can glean from it. Man, I feel every day with my trainer, this guy comes up with moves. They must be from the <laughs> devil himself. I don't understand how these trainers come up with these moves, dude. I thought I was strong. And then he's like, okay, I want you to do a side plank, you know, holding yourself up by your opposite leg. So it's like, you know, you're like literally lifting up your whole body with the inner thigh muscle. I'm like shaking like there's an earthquake. I'm like, dude, I thought I was strong. How do you come up with this? It sucks. I fail. I fell on the floor this morning. I was like laughing. I was like, this is ridiculous. I am not a ballet dancer. I don't need to do that. He's like, you, now you're going to hurt yourself if you don't strengthen this. And it's just like, every time he pushes me to failure, it sucks. I'm on the ground. I'm sweaty and I'm getting stronger despite the crappy attitude. <laughs> I love the muscle example because it's such a good visual. We all, I think, can wrap our head around. You got to break down muscle and take it to failure to build it back up even stronger than it was before. That's exactly how challenges should be in our life and adversity. I love that. Just kind of as we start to wind this down, I've got several more questions, but if we could just kind of in rapid fire, you know, 30 second type question and answers. Is there a favorite success quote, maybe in the context of entrepreneurship, but of anything for that matter, but a favorite success quote you might have that you'd like to share? Action cures fear. Oh, I love that. I think it's from The Magic of Thinking Big by David Schwartz. It's like one of those old, old personal development books. Man, fear can paralyze anybody, right? Yeah. The one thing I've learned in life, and business has taught me this a lot, like you just got to do it. You really cannot learn to swim by reading a textbook. You got to get in the water at some point. Right. And if there's anything I've been good at is just trying things. It's almost like reckless sometimes. I'll, I'll try almost anything once. You know, as long as I'm reasonably sure that it won't kill me. And so every time I'm scared, I've now faced enough things that I'm scared of, or I've been scared so many times because I'm always trying new things that I've now sort of recognized the discipline of, okay, well, you're scared. That just means you just need to do it. Right. Waiting is not going to make the fear dissipate. You're still going to have to do it. So it. I'm an action taker. Yeah, that's me. It's great advice. I wanted you to expound upon that a little bit just because it's so important. I don't want anyone to miss it. I love the swimming analogy. I mean, you can read a book to your child of how to learn to swim. They will never learn to swim until they get in the water, ride a bike. I mean, all the things. Reading is helpful. And I say, learn. Use one foot to learn and one foot to do and one foot to learn and one foot to do and you'll get somewhere. But if all you do is use the one foot to learn, you're going to go in circles. Yeah. You're going to just spin around the foot that's not moving. So I love that. What is one habit, a daily habit, I guess, maybe to be more specific that has helped you become successful and continue to be successful? Gratitude journal. Love it. I will preach that until I die. Right now I use this thing called the five minute journal. I thought it was the dumbest thing in the world. 
you wake up in the morning, you don't even journal anything. You just write three things you're grateful for, three things that would make the day great, and an affirmation. In the evening, you write three good things that happened today and what you learned that day. It takes five minutes each time, morning and evening. I thought it was the dumbest thing ever, dude. And I've been journaling since I was like a teenager. And I had this kind of come to Jesus moment where I looked back on my journals and I realized literally all I was doing in my journals were just complaining. This is what's going wrong. I'm struggling with this and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, this is not a flattering picture of my life. Like this, wow. And I'd read these journals. And actually that was one of the things that made writing my book hard. I'm, I'm trying to tie these together. When I was writing my book, I decided to go find my journals from those years when I was leaving that church job. And then I found older ones, like from when I was like in college and I read through, I'm like, this guy's miserable. This dude is a loser. I mean, he's, he hates life. Like he is, my gosh, I feel bad for him. So I realized like my methodology of brain dumping, getting things out of me was like faulty. So I did a little search, like, how do I journal better or whatever? And then five minute journal, five minutes, journal, everyone's talking about it. So I just thought, you're yeah, fine. I'll order it. I'll do it. I will take action. I've written in that thing almost every day for the past two years. And I can tell you, I'm a different man. It has made the big things little and the little things big. The day that my book hit the Wall Street Journal bestseller, it was only one of three good things that happened that day. And the next day, it was over. Yesterday ended last night. <laughs> right? And so what I noticed over time was like the things that I wrote that made the day great, like one of the most frequent things I wrote was I got my workout in. That motivates me every day now. That's how it became a habit. Or it's, you know, I ate clean today. Or I went to bed on time. I was fully present with my nephews. Man. Yeah. It made the big things that you think are going to make you really happy in life, like a best-selling book or a six-figure long, whatever it is. It's just one of three things that day. And the other things that happen every day is I got up, I worked out, I took the dog for a walk, I was with my parents, totally changed my life, trained me to look for the good things. I love it. I love it, Mike. Such great advice. Can't help but think of Philippians 4, 8 and the command, I'll call it a command, the advice, whatever you want to call it, to think on things that are pure, lovely, right, true, noble, of good report. I'm like, that's gratitude journal. That's what it is. I mean, that's a piece of it. And I just, I love it. I wish I'd started that many, many years earlier. What is one of the best pieces of advice you've ever received? Don't go to war where there are no spoils. My old pastor taught me that. We worked together for a couple of years when I was in Connecticut. We're still in touch. His name's Eric Peoples track star in college, a big athletic guy. And he would always tell me, don't go to war where there are no spoils. You're worked up about something or you want to fight back on something. It's like, hey, conserve your energy. There's so much that you could get worked up about. And it's just sideways energy. Be strategic, protect your time, protect your energy. In more recent years, it's not the cleanest of examples, but there's a very popular book called The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F. Right, I won't use the word, but that's the actual title of the book. It was actually a blog post years prior. The blog post was so popular by a guy named Mark Manson. He signed a book deal and the book became a multiple like times bestseller. And the premise is simple. It's you have a limited number of Fs to give. So only give them to what's significant and important. And I thought about that and I thought like the way that my mentor would share that with me. It's like, conserve your energy. You can't get worked up about every single thing out there. 
be tactical about where you're giving your focus and your energy to. That's been one of the biggest things that I've lived by in my life. Someone wrongs you, you're like, okay, is this really worth you're going to cut off your nose to spite your face? You know, it's just, okay, live free, you know, live free, water off your back. We only have so much time. We only have so much energy. I think what you're saying, we only have so many battles we can fight. So choose it wisely. Is it worth it? Man, that's really good advice. Really good, Mike. What's one book you'd recommend? I mean, I know you are the brand because that is a great <laughs> book. And I said it at the beginning and I wouldn't say it if I didn't mean it because I want to mean what I say and say what I mean. But I did just read it. I told you that earlier this summer and I thought it was a phenomenal book for branding Thank and you. marketing and anyone that, that wants help with that. But what is a book you'd recommend to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway audience? You know what I'd say? I'm, I'm going to pull out a book that was very instrumental to me during my counseling years, you know, after the divorce. It may not apply to everybody, but it's a book called Codependent No More by Melody Beattie. My therapist recommended it to me. I was shocked, Alan, when I read this book because it was for people who are caretakers of alcoholics and drug users. And I failed mm. to see the connection. And I'm like, maybe it's in a later chapter, but I was highlighting like every other thing in the book. And I get to the end of the book and that's just, just the end of the book. I'm like, doc, I must've missed it. Maybe you gave me the wrong version because I read this in a day, <laughs> but she's not a drug addict or an alcoholic and neither am I. And he's like, that's not what I wanted you to read. I wanted you to read how people are over responsible for others. And then they enable others to sit in their own level of irresponsibility. And I was like, oh, snap. Okay. You know, and for me as a coach and a consultant in many ways, like that is very much my life. Like if I don't draw those boundaries, I'm going to start overcompensating for my clients and trying to take care of everybody, save the world. And for me, it was just the right book for me, Alan. He knew that there were tendencies inside me to caretake and to be over-responsible and to overcommit because I didn't value my own self or I was trying to compensate for my lack of self-esteem, whatever it was. And that book was very helpful. I mean, one of the top books that I've read in my life. Absolutely. Got it. Codependent no more. What is Mike Kim's definition of success? I mean, I've got success in the podcast title. Talk a lot about success. Everyone's version is a little different. I think at the core, it probably is the same, but we all say it differently, maybe. What is your definition of success? A life that I can truly be proud of living according to standards that held me at a higher standard. It's one thing you see all these travel influence, especially in my industry, they just walk around, they just travel around, they're just partying all the time. Like that to me is not a life well lived. You know, I want to make the people I've met better than me. I hope that I'm able to leave a mark on the people I've met in whatever way, and that'll be worth it. I think there's a difference between happiness and meaning. Happiness is feelings. Meaning is often accompanied by hardship. And I want a life of meaning, which makes the hardship worth it. When I journey with a friend, I, and this has happened to me many times since my own divorce, people talk to me about theirs. And I'm like, all right, I don't know that I would have wanted this, but it's what happened. So that's why they're talking to me. It's not easy. Yep. And my heart breaks for him, but there's a lot of meaning there. So to me, success is a life of meaning, one that I can be proud of because I lived them to standards that were higher than myself. Boy, that's so good. And it's serving, it's impacting others. I think that's what I'm hearing you say and making a difference in other people's life. 
and it makes the hard worth it. I love that. So good. What excites you about the future as you think about the future? Maybe it's something you're working on. Maybe it's just something that is evergreen and always excites you about the future. But right now, today, what's exciting you about the future? Everything is open. I love that. I'm one of those guys, like I can go on the beach and just stare out at the open ocean for like hours. I think, Alan, what I'm trying to learn and, and have learned to some degree is you can see all this openness and there's no one right path to go off the beach. And yet the waves you encounter are the specific ways you encounter when you go off the beach. You could have gone 10 feet the other way. And so I think for a lot of my life, I was like, there's only one path that I can take. It's only one. It's predetermined. It's prescribed. I've had too many changes in my life to believe that. And as a result, I've been able to be very present and unattached to outcomes. I have goals, but it doesn't mean I'm going to lose my identity or significance because something different happens. I learned that a lot last couple of years. Everything that was labeled, every label that I had out the window, worship leader, out the window, music director of church, out the window, CMO of a company, out the window because I quit, married, out the window, would have been a father, out the window, at least so far, right? Yeah. I'm like, what's left? You in this moment and where God has you. And that level of freedom to not worry about the future and not be anxious about the past is what most excites me. And I fight every day to stay in that zone. That's why we got to keep our heads squared away every day, right? Because yep. it's easy to slip out of that. But I love that, Mike. I love that so much. Hey, this has been awesome. How, for all of our listeners that may want to connect with you or even just follow along on your journey, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, Instagram is great. My handle is Mike Kim. For those of you who are in business and may want to learn a little thing or two about branding and personal branding, you can tune into my podcast. It's called You Are the Brand, same title as my book, which you can also check out. But I think for the purposes of today, like Instagram's great. You're going to see basically every facet of my life there outside of work as well. So that'd be great. We can connect there and DM me, say you listen to the show and we'll chat. Perfect. We'll add both the link to your podcast, the link to your Instagram, as well as your MikeKim.com website in the show notes below. So it's easy for our listeners to just go down there and grab if they'd like to. And Mike, this has been awesome. I want to give you the last word, any closing comment you might want to share with our Life's Hard Succeed Anyway audience. Yeah, I guess it's some stuff that I said before. Just learn to love yourself because it's who you have to be with all the time. Like you can't escape yourself. So work on yourself, get to know yourself, become better, whatever that means for you right now in this season, and be patient with yourself and your life will improve. It will. Life will be hard, but you will succeed if you do that. So that would be my charge to y'all. Love it, Mike. Thanks so much for your time, man. This has been great. I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your experience, your wisdom, and ideas with our audience. Thank you, man. It's been a pleasure. If you love this podcast, grab some of Alan's free resources on his website at alanblain.com, spelled A-L-L-A-N-B-L-A-I-N.com. You can also find links to Alan's Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok there in his contact page. Lastly, if you can leave a five-star review for us on your favorite podcast app, that will get these messages out to more people and it will really mean the world to us. Thanks in advance and make it a great day.